For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose. And welcome to a very special episode number 358, the business model episode of This Old Marketing for Thursday, January 12th, 2023. And with me, as always, is my pal, my colleague, and a guy who is a model, you know what I mean, and does his little turn on the catwalk, Mr. Joe Polizzi. I thought of that song. When I said the business model, I was like, oh, you are a little model. You do your turn on the catwalk. I had to... I had to bring back a great 80s I can't song. believe you. Who sang that song? I can't believe you went there, by the way. That was Right Said Fred. That would be Right Said Fred. And that was their, the they were they were a one-hit wonder, correct? That was their... Inimitable, yes. The inimitable Right Said Fred with all of their major, major hits. Stadium <laughs> sold out tours with their one big hit. Uh, you know, I'm too sexy. I'm too sexy. I'm too sexy for this show, Joe. I always think the lead singer for Right Said Fred was also in the 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 lead uh, the the German in The Big Lebowski, but it's not. But that's what I visualize. No, but you know who is one of the Germans in The Big Lebowski is uh, from uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, Fle- is it Flea? I think it's so. Flea's like I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Flea's he's in Back to the Future. Uh, yeah, Flea also plays in. Um, Boba Fett, the new Boba Fett series. No, yes, he, he does. Yeah, I, I did yeah, not know it, that. It's, he he uh, dies in like episode eight or so. Oh, I don't want to give it away if you haven't watched it. But yeah, he's in the book. He's always in these. He's always with a group because he was in uh, Point Break. As what was it? Point Break. Him and Anthony Kiedis were in Point Break. So he's okay. always in with All these right. groups of ruffian. <laughs> Well, how about that? Yeah. Check this out. Flea, since 1984, Flea has acted in films and television series such as Suburbia, Back to the Future Part 2, and Part 3, My Own Private Idaho, The Chase, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Dudes, Son-in-Law, The Big Lebowski, so oh, I was good. right, yeah. Low Down, Baby Driver, Boy Erased, The Wild Thornberries, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Babylon. Obi-Wan Kenobi. That was the one. Sorry. It wasn't Boba Fett. Yeah. It was Obi-Wan Kenobi. Thank you for that. But anyway, it, 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 yeah. Well, Boba Fett was a very forgettable show, so you, you, it, it's, it's no wonder you forgot because. Well, you, that, I mean, that was such that was not good. Boba Fett. Mandalorian three is coming out. Are you going to watch that? Mm-hmm. You like the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. You just don't like Boba Fett. They went. I did not like Boba Fett. I did like. I love Mandalorian, and of course, I loved Andor. Andor, I think, is one of my favorite shows of the last. Oh, you know what? Five, ten it's a years. good thing that you. We never talked about it. It's a good thing that you told me to sit through the first four episodes because I absolutely loved it. Once I got through the first, wasn't it great? It was fantastic. You're right. It's it's yeah. It's probably the best Star Wars series since they started to do the episodic treatment. ever. Yeah, it's the best Star Wars series ever. Full stop. I think. Yeah, I finished. I finished that series, and I was like, I want them to now reboot all three of the original movies with that tone, with that, with with that level of complexity. Ugh. You know, it's it it's be, funny. I mean, there, you have something to that because when Star Trek rebooted with Chris Pine, I like I really liked that reboot. I don't know if you did. But but yeah. I did, and oh, I was I, I was like, oh, no, 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 now I, I want, now I want that, that kind reboot. of treatment yeah. for 
you know, the episodes or whatever to go through. So I, I agree with you from that standpoint. I think Andor really hit the nail on the head with yeah. this is this is the what the Star Wars universe should be like. Well, you finally felt a real you 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 finally felt a real threat. You know what I mean? It, it, you saw what an empire that would cover a galaxy look like when you know when it looks like to the normal humans who live on these planets and that level of complexity and government and the how inefficient something like that was going to be you know the how inefficient government at that level would be and i mean the whole theme and i'm not spoiling anything with andor which the one of the major themes running throughout the entire series is how Basically, the Empire is as strong as it is because it is so inattentive to detail. In other words, it's just so big that it can't really even see the weaknesses that it has because it, it just it has to be that big in order to be that big. And one of the biggest and always one of the major weaknesses of the original trilogy, if not the entire series, was how would someone creating something the size of the Death Star leave something so open as what was exploited ultimately in the first film, which was the, you know, the the major hole that, you know, Luke puts the bullet through and it destroys yeah. the whole planet. It's like, how would you ever let a weakness? That's the, the what they do in Andor is actually express that in a very sophisticated way to talk about how a government the size of the empire would leave something like that open because they don't care. They, they just can't care. They can't care about that level of detail because they're that big. It's just, uh, I love that show. Well, so much. I, yeah, you're right. It's, it's such a size. You can't check everything. You can't be everywhere. Right. And then it, what it, what it shows again, I don't think I'm giving anything away, but when you do like clamp down on one area too much, that's when you get revolt and they have to make sure they, right. they want to govern through fear but if they go and they yep. take it too far, that's when you get revol- you know, revolution. And revolution. ultimately, yeah. that's what leads to uh, Rogue One, uh, then A New uh, Hope, and the yeah. whole rebellion. I can't wait for the next season. I can't. I just can't they, wait. There's the a lot. Season. You know, it's funny just, because we watched, uh, my, my youngest and I, we watched the last episode of Andor and then went right on to Rogue One. And then I realized, uh, I'm like, oh my gosh, they could go on forever between the episode 12 of Andor. And I mean, there's a lot of time period there. Um, so let's see how far they take. Yeah. There's more it's than years. there's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, there's it, way it, more than one it, season if they want to have it, if it's successful. My understanding is there's at least three planned. There are wow. at least three seasons planned. Yeah. We'll see if they will. St- I mean, I, I'm hoping they get through all. Th- I mean, I'm just sad that it's going to take so long. I mean, it, we're not apparently it's not coming until winter of 2024 or something. It's like crazy, crazy long time to wait. But so yeah, we're, again, not giving anything away. But there's a couple characters that, that are very popular actors that play roles, and I'm wondering if they make comebacks in episode, you know, in seasons two and two and three, which I'm assuming they will. So that should be oh really oh yeah oh they absolutely will. yeah. Good. So it's good stuff. So what are we uh, what are we doing on stuff. our? This is a, you said well, this we is a have special, a special episode. episode. What, what is it? Yeah, what we, we. So this is coming on the heels of we've gotten requests for these special episodes, and uh, certainly this is something we want to try and do a little more of this year. Um, we did a special episode on B two B marketing, which was 
very popular and people seem to dig it. Uh, we did one. We've done our predictions show for whatever reason. That nonsense. People like <laughs> people the, seem yeah, to like people it. People love it when we're they, wrong, and we're wrong a lot. That, I think that's maybe it. Yeah, I think that's if, maybe if there's it. something that we're um, really good at, it's bad predictions. We are the best at yeah. bad predictions. And one of our other popular episodes is, of course, where we talked about our infrastructure of, of how we uh, do this show and what equipment we use and how we, you know, how we produce the show and sort of the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. And so what we thought we'd do for this special episode is talk about each of our business models, especially as we start the new year. Uh, you focused, of course, on the tilt and content entrepreneurs uh, and the business model of newsletters and all of the things that you're doing. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about, uh, you know, social coins and Web3. Yes, we absolutely um, should. <laughs> and um, we'll talk a little bit about my business model with content advisory and consulting and what we're doing to maintain uh, the fun stuff that we're doing, the business model there, how it's changing and how it changed certainly after COVID and uh, all the pivots we've done on training and, and advisory and consulting and how we do that virtually now and hopefully giving people a few tips that are that are looking to either start their own side hustle, have their own side hustle, looking at starting a business, looking at managing the business they already have, and hopefully some some value there along with a few laughs along the way. That's okay. that's what I thought we'd do for the next 30 to 45 minutes or hour and a half, depending on this could, we, yeah, I could go 10 minutes to 10 days, anywhere in between. Yeah, we've got it covered. That's right. So. Well, good. Is this? Uh, is exactly do, you, right. do you want me to to start? What do you want to do? I You're do. Leading this I want show. you to go first. Yeah, I want you to go first. And what I'd love for you to start with is, so here we are, finish twenty twenty two. Your business is now coming up on two years old, That's if I'm right. not It'll mistaken. Be two in April. Um, yeah, and so here you are. One of the things that comes forward in all of the research that you've done into content entrepreneurship is that it's about 18 months uh, for, for things to start to get traction. Are you getting traction? What's going on? What's the business model as you come into 2023? Let's start there and then start to get into some of the yeah, details. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm happy and I'm, I'm going to be very transparent here as I, as I usually try to be because we want to yeah. be as helpful as we possibly can. So as, as I think everyone knows, you know, you and I were a part, you're still a part of Content Marketing Institute, uh, but you have your own business. You know, we, my wife and I sold Content Marketing Institute uh, in 2016. I stayed on until the end of 17, did lots of other things, but then restarted this business called The Tilt in April of 2021. And the whole idea and the reason why I wanted to do this was, first of all, because I got really bored during COVID, <laughs> to be honest. And uh, yeah, to, to and my wife is still upset. I think that that we I ended up launching the tilt, but we went and went forward. And I I thought there was a lot of talk out there about content creators and entrepreneurs who wanted to build content first businesses, but not enough people talking about how to create the business model of content creation. So that is exactly what the tilt is about. And this is idea of becoming a content entrepreneur. And we wanted to teach as many people as we could the business model of content creation. And if you go back to content, and that sort of launched with the book. Last episode, I talked about launching a book. It's really important as a mission statement for the company. Ours is the second edition of Content Inc., which came out right at the same time we launched the business. And we have a process and a methodology for how to do that. 
And we were like, okay, we're going to launch this little media company. How does this end up going? And we launched our core platform as a newsletter. The Tilt is sent out. The Tilt newsletter is sent out every Tuesday and Friday. We've had some changes over the past couple of years to see if we can figure out is that we can get a better open rate, a better click through. But basically, it stayed a, the same for the last two years. We have an opening, which is a little bit strategic. It's a how-to piece. We have at least one case study. Uh, spotlight on a content entrepreneur and then we cover the news that's related and we have a tilt take on all the news pieces so if there's something that spotify does we'll say here's what spotify is doing for content creators here's why you should care and that's been going very well we um, launched as i said in april of 2021 and at this point which is the second week in january we have a little over eighteen thousand email subscribers it's very good I always, of course, you know me, Robert, I always think it should be better. We're always trying to figure out how to get it, how to be better, how to um, be more efficient. How do we do a good job at getting subscribers? I'll talk about what's worked and what hasn't. Um, we, the initial business model, Robert, was we, we were going to sell training. We launched our training platform. Uh, we, we launched with a couple classes, one on content entrepreneurship. Uh, we launched a couple other ones as we went. Uh, we didn't get the type of paid uh, training revenue that we thought we should. I started looking at the model. I didn't think it was working very well. And there's a lot of reasons for this. But one of the key areas, and everybody should understand this from a content competition standpoint, in a matter of 12 months, everyone and their brother and sister and other were starting to launch how to do content creation, how to be a content entrepreneur. All And so we had went from very little competition to a lot of competition in a short period of time. So apparently a lot of people were doing a lot of this, thinking about a lot of the same things I was thinking about in the beginning of 21. Uh, we, we made a strategic change to focus on sponsorship revenue first. So we started selling sponsorships in 22. That's gone really well. We're in really good place in 23. And as the business looks, we should be profitable in 23. We are not, we are not profitable in 22. And so right now going into 23, we have our email newsletter that we sell sponsorships for. We have a couple different sponsor levels that we sell for that. We have Creator Economy Expo, which is our annual event. We launched that in 22. We'll have that in 23 again. That's May 1st to 3rd in Cleveland, Ohio. That as well, lost money for us in 22. We think we can um, generate revenue and profit in 23 on that. So, 20, so 21 lost money, 22 lost money, and 23 should be break even or just a little bit profitable. And so we seem to be hitting that time limit, as you said, about two years of getting to a point where we're profitable. Um, you know, it's funny, funny, I was telling somebody the other day, I think because this is my third time doing this kind of thing, that it should be quicker and it's never is. It always takes the same <laughs> amount of, even though we had an audience, it always seems to take the same amount of time to do these things. So some of the strategic initiatives we're doing to sort of build the tilt up, grow subscribers faster, uh, as well as get more um, registrations for or people to go to Creator Economy Expo is we're starting to focus more on one or two platforms. And I'm really going all in. We're really going all in on LinkedIn. 
uh, because we feel that the majority of our audience that we target, which seems to be second career content creators, that seems to be our core focus for the audience. They're, they have an expertise, they've had a job before, and now they're launching something else. They're launching a newsletter, a podcast, a YouTube channel around their expertise, and they want to be an entre entrepreneur. They don't want to work for somebody anymore. And that's really who we cater to best as our audience. So we're starting to look at LinkedIn. And what I'm doing personally is I'm posting at least once a day on LinkedIn, more or less, tw probably more like twice a day at this point. And I comment on five to 10 people's uh, posts per day that also target our customers. And that seems to be working really well. And we're, you'd be surprised as you do this over and over again. At first, it's not going to do anything. But as you keep doing it, it seems to be more of an impact. The other thing I decided to do is a lot of people know I've got my own random newsletter. And that newsletter goes out to 10,000 people. I've been doing that since 2019. It was really separate from the business. And I said, I wonder if I could publish that on LinkedIn as well and get additional exposure and then drive not only to get email signups for that newsletter so it's not just on rented land for LinkedIn, but I could drive more people to the tilt. And so far, so good with that one. I've only done a couple newsletters, Robert, on LinkedIn, but I already have, I think, 18,000 subscribers on LinkedIn. So it's amazing. Now, I don't know what the readability is going to be. I don't know how many people are going to open this thing, but there is sure. something about Or click people. through and actually subscribe to the real. Yeah. Email. I mean, I think I got something yeah. like 10 or 15 subscribers last week from the LinkedIn to yeah. the, which is fine. But I think, yeah. I, I really think long term, there's something there because it's the endemic part of when they go and they see me post something on LinkedIn or I go ahead and post a, a comment on somebody else's platform, I get a lot of profile hits from that. It's like the first thing they go to is the profile. So what I've done is I've really cleaned up the LinkedIn profile and the first thing they see is Joe's got a newsletter on LinkedIn and that's the call to action that people hit. So that yep. seems, because I had no idea, because I only, I launched the newsletter, I think it was three weeks ago, and I've already got 18,000 subscribers in three weeks. I mean, come on, that's crazy. That shouldn't happen. But if you work this system really well, and I'm starting to look at some of the other creators. Well, it helps. It helps when you have hundreds of thousands of it followers does. on LinkedIn. It, it, I mean, it yeah, absolutely let's, does. Let's be honest. But if you use this process <laughs> and you focus on a content tilt, whatever your mission is, and you're consistent over time, and you do this method of post every day on the platform, post on other people's and spend, let's say, 30 minutes a day, 45 minutes a day yeah. on your core platform instead of spreading that out over you know, Instagram and Twitter and everything else. So I'm focusing most of my time. That's why I think I told you in the last episode, I'm like, I'm not spending any time on Mastodon. Like, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to focus on LinkedIn and really do that well. So if we do all those things, that seems to be going well. We've got our research, like one of our... Um, you call them a pillar piece of content would be our research. This will be the third year coming out with our research. We'll launch it in May again. It's again about really going uh, and figuring out the business model of content creators where there's a ton of research about creator economy, but there's not a lot of people saying, oh, here's how the business model works. And so what we're, we're going to go out to thousands of content creators like we do every year, but really get to what is the business model for content creation? If you're in it, if you're not, what revenue channels are working, what aren't, what platform channels are working, what's not. So we're going to go into that again. So we've got that coming out in May. So if you go through kind of all the stuff we're doing, it's really not that much. It's 
an e-newsletter twice a week. We've got the annual research. We've got an annual event. And I pretty much stopped doing everything else. We were doing sponsored courses before. We were doing regular courses. We were doing ebooks. We were doing lots of other things. But everything is now focused on driving subscribers to the newsletter that will thus get us um, people to go to Creator Economy Expo. Obviously, the research is one big subscriber generator for us as well. And then I have to mention, you know, you know, I'm still big, very bullish on Web3. And this is, you know, I'm not telling any tales at this point we've already let our community know at this point when people are listening to this we launched our social token tilt coin it launched in february of 21 so it really was the first thing we did we had this thing for almost two years it was incredibly successful we had 2300 token holders we were the number one token on rally everything was working great except for the fact that (laughs) <laughs> rally didn't work for us and what we learned was we we thought and when i say we i mean i i thought i'm like oh great web3 is this big answer for decentralization it's going to be this it, is going this is going to be the savior for content creators and content entrepreneurs unfortunately by building it on rally we built it on rented land just like facebook just like linkedin everything else we didn't have a secondary plan to move that audience over other than the email newsletter and we had to actually close tiltcoin up altogether because rally told us uh, that they were not going to continue to support the token so it's unfortunate that the model was working for social tokens and we had to you know do what we did because of rally so that's an, and i can answer your question on that because i know you have a take on it with your coin but the last thing i'll say is the good part about it is we have our never-ending ticket uh, which is our nft program which right now we have 62 people involved in this and that's working really well so you not only get a never-ending ticket for creator economy expo but we've got a really great community that's launching we meet every two months uh to talk about how we can help each other uh i've got some big plans for that community as well so so the nft program is working fantastic so there is a possibility here for web3 social tokens only didn't work in my opinion because of the fact that we built it on rented land so live and live and learn yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. So, oh, so fingers <clears throat> crossed. Right. Hopefully this year we'll actually make some money off the program in total. Okay. So that was a lot. Um, More than what you asked for. a lot of great stuff. Uh, but I have two, two questions to follow up on that. So the first is you, you talked a lot about profitability and that coming, hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, this yeah. year. Uh, with all that you're doing. Profitability, I'm assuming, doesn't mean revenue. So how long was it from you when you first started to you started to see your first dollars floating in? And I'm assuming that was through some of the sponsored uh, training that you talked about. But then you obviously saw that that wasn't. But did that revenue initially start to feed the ability to invest in other things, such as the newsletter for sponsorship, the event, and those kinds of things. So what was that timeline like from revenue to the lesson learned that we need to pivot into new revenue? You know, in other words, when did you feel like you were able to start charging people for sponsorships? Was it the event or was it the newsletter or whatever? Sure. And the second question on top of that is when and how specifically did you start market like marketing right you know i know you're doing social posts you're doubling down on linkedin and you're doing those things but when did you start 
to market? And did you use anything like paid advertising or did you do anything like that in the very early days to get some of the word out? So the, the biggest thing that worked for us from a subscriber growth generation before we got to revenue was our referral program. And our referral program was was based in TiltCoin, which is why it worked so brilliantly. Right. And unfortunately, we're going to have to rethink our referral program. But bar none, our referral program has been wonderful. So basically, what I mean by that is at the end of uh, our new, at the bottom of the newsletter, it'll say, "Hey, you know, here's your specific code, and if you share this code out, you get rewards." And we they got TiltCoin, and now they get all kinds of things like you can get merchandise, and we're going to change it where you get a you get a, a piece of content from me and a couple other things as we rework our rewards program. So that worked really well to get us to 10,000 subscribers, and it was about 10,000 email subscribers, Robert, where I first started to sell sponsorship on the on the site. On, on the email newsletter. Um, so okay. that was probably six to eight months. So six to eight month mark, we not only... That's a good lesson. That's a good lesson for those out there listening so to six that. To eight, and right? by the way, it's not that I wouldn't launch it sooner. I just didn't think I had enough of a minimum viable product sure. no, no, to no. go sell. That's, I think that's, so it got to, that's the yeah, lesson so learned. So I got yeah. to about 10,000. We did that and we started selling sponsorship and then also started selling a paid training at the same time. And then the paid training went away and we really doubled down on our sponsorship. If that answers your question. And now going into year two plus into sponsorship, we've got some really good relationships with our sponsors. And then we're able to not only sell them the tilt or something on the tilt.com site, we're able to sell them into creator economy expo, which is, is really where we think we're going to make most of our money. Yeah. Yeah, so the event is really the becoming not not unlike your your the previous company you you built up. The event is becoming sort of the center of of of, of all things, and and then uh, building that around the community. Yeah. You know, your your more web three oriented community becomes sort of the your super fans exactly, as, as and they're, and they're they're great, and they give us great ideas, and they're very supportive. But it's it's so interesting, Robert. And maybe a lot of people listening to this will relate. There's so much competition in our area. And I'm looking at, okay, what are we doing different? Like, what can we do better than anyone else? And 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 a lot of people in our market are a little tentative on doing an in-person event because it's a lot, it's a big commitment. You're going to do an in-person event. You better, especially especially these days, days, you're looking at six figure plus investment to do like a really good solid event. And a lot of creators don't want to do that. So a lot of creators that are that we're competitive with, or or we have cooperation with, they launch their paid membership, their paid training, their eBooks, and all that kind of stuff, which are great. Which I don't think we can really compete with. So great, they're going to have that. We want to partner with them and really focus on the event as our Disney World, if you will. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's 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 brilliant because I have to assume that most of your competition are either larger media companies like they were in the old days with content marketing institute larger media companies that are trying to cover this topic or uh very small micro content creators who are ostensibly transforming their business model into learn how to be me you know learn 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 how to you know the the and we talked about it on on this show before with somebody like mr beast who has launched a class and a training, learn how to be Mr. Beast. That's right. And and so that becomes your competition in a way, but what you can do that they can't do is to stand up a more integrated, multi, more diverse 
uh, event that people can actually commu- you know create community and learn from their peers. Well, that's the hope, right? We're we're trying to create this learning event where networking takes place, where these creators get to meet each other. To answer your question or your comment, I would flip those. The biggest competition we have are from our audience, actually, the creators. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're the ones that are getting the sponsorships that are doing the trade, whatever. And then the secondary one are other media companies. And if we compete against like a VidCon or we compete against the published press, they're, they're targeting a different audience and they're saying different things. They're really about fans and super fans and influencers and things like that. And we are not that at all. We are about right. all about business right. owners first and second about taking this content first mentality and develop a, de- developing a business through it. So hopefully that's our content tilt. That's what we're going out there. That's our differentiation. But it is very, very crowded. And again, and we've talked about this in content marketing for years. You've got to figure out what you're dif- how you're going to differentiate. And we struggle with that every day. So Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's I, I often talk about it in my in my workshop where I talk about one of the things, the levers that you can pull as you're putting together your business model for content is to take a big idea to a very small niche audience. I don't mean small quantity-wise. I mean niche audience. Uh, or you can take a very niche idea to a big audience. And what you're doing is taking a very big idea to a very niche audience. And I think it's I think it's a brilliant. It's plan. so interesting, you know. I mean, you know the whole story. Maybe people listening to this don't, but I thought, oh, this is great for all those you know kids that are getting on TikTok that don't understand the media business model. Like we can go and teach them. And then I look at what our audience is, and our audience is like people you know a little bit older, you know, Gen X plus. Um, and it seems to be the second career thing that 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 yeah. Well, it's the people who take it yeah. seriously, right? I mean, it's you know, it's not unlike, and we talked about the statistic before that. I, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, so forgive me. But it's there are X million of podcasts out there now, and 85 or 90 percent of them have less than three episodes and less than. 20 downloads or something, right? So if you have more than, and again, I'm getting these numbers wrong, but if you have more than 50 downloads and you've been doing it for more than six months, you're in the top 5% of all podcasts, right? Yeah. It's, 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 it's a, it's a, and it's the same way, by the way, with business books, it's the same with, uh, all of those kinds of things where everybody wants to do it and does it because it's democratized and easy to do it, but it's very hard to stick at it and it's very hard to take it seriously. Well, I'm very curious to hear your model and be, and it actually has a lot to do with what we're doing because I did not realize when we did our research last year, because last year was the first year that we asked our audience, like, what is your number one? Well, what name your revenue sources. And with our audience, with content first businesses, the number one generator of revenue are consulting fees. And so, yeah. and so I'm under the assumption that that really falls into your model. So I'm excited to hear about what you got going on. It, it, it does. What it really shows you is how important and integral I am to your business. You are. That's, that's you're, what like, really, you're like my that's, core customer now. <laughs> <laughs> They're just terrible. It's frightening. <laughs> it's frightening. It's absolutely oh, horrifying. Right. Go ahead. Let me uh, hear. Yeah. So, well, I started uh, Content Advisory. Arguably, I started it back when you and I met. Yes, I would agree um, with that. In the, in, in the early days of Content Marketing Institute. Um, but because you and I got on so well, we just made it a service of CMI rather than sort of breaking it out of this as its own, as its own thing, which was we were getting asked by 
people around how do we operationalize this content marketing thing? And so we said, okay, let's let's start a consulting practice because it's my background. It's what I do and have done for forever for the last 30, 30 years. Um, and it worked and it was going great. And we always sort of had the discipline of not scaling it because we always knew that it would be a, a not very valuable business. Um, that's something you have to understand if you're getting into the consulting world. It is not a valuable business. It is very much a. Uh, it, it is very much based on you as a as as the IP that you develop, um, and the linear. It's looked and seen as a very linear business. And so, if you're thinking of starting a consulting firm or an agency, and you think you're going to get big multiples of, of value, rethink that. You're not. Um, and in fact, it, it turned out to be true when CMI got. Uh, acquired, they actually looked at the consulting business as a discount on the business um, from a from a revenue perspective, uh, ostensibly about eighty cents on the dollar. So, I've never fooled myself that it's that it's building. You know, the the idea is is that you want to use consulting to build something else that is of value, IP content media uh, that you can actually package and sell. Uh, that's the idea behind a consulting firm. So just remember that if you're starting. But but it worked very well, and it it certainly kept me fat and happy as we were growing CMI, and CMI became the success that it did. And when CMI was acquired, uh, the acquiring company UBM at that point came in and said, "Hey, we like you, but you know we don't want anything you do. Basically, <laughs> we don't want consulting for the obvious reason." Um, and so I ultimately ended up spinning out the business more formally got did all the adulting and and incorporated and got everything going as content advisory and since 2016 we've been operating as an independent business still attached very firmly to CMI I still love those people still work very closely my official title is chief strategy advisor but I'm uh, technically a a contractor over there and um, uh, we've been working very successfully together over the last well now seven years um, with uh, through another acquisition when Informa acquired UBM, of course, and the business model it used to be, and I'll I'll just frame this up. Used to be uh, a three legged stool, uh, which was one consulting engagements, which are classic consulting engagements. You go in, you talk to the business, you understand what they're trying to do, uh, you tr you you interview people, you talk with and do workshops, and you figure out a roadmap and a strategy, and directionally you provide levels of uh, deliverables to say, this is what you should do, how you should do it, what should happen, technology you should use, basically workflows, you know, people process and technology, classic consulting engagement with a deliverable on the back end of it for a fee. Uh, so strategy consulting. The second leg was training uh, and education, which was all about workshops and masterclasses and custom bespoke uh, education going in and, and doing uh, full day, half day, multi day workshops for people. All of this, by the way, on the topic of either content marketing or content strategy operationalizing this stuff. And then the third leg of the stool was my speaking, speaking engagements, uh, keynotes, uh, speaking engagements, uh, webinars, those kind of thought leadership, as it were. Sometimes I'd write white papers, sometimes I write articles for money and ostensibly the custom content part of the business. After COVID, two of those legs uh, really evaporated. Uh, which was the training and the the workshops and the uh, the speaking engagements just 
because I would do a lot of speaking engagements for free as part of our marketing strategy. Because, of course, if I speak, then people come up to you afterwards and they say, Ooh, mm-hmm. who are you? What do you do? And blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and all of that. And those things evaporated. And so in the last two years, we've really pivoted hard uh, into, and it, by the way, the structure of the company is just myself and my colleague, Kathy McKnight, who I've been working with for the last 11 years, and we just get along like peas in a pod. So it's just the two of us, really. Um, we do bring on some people for projects when we need to for an extra arms and legs, but it's ostensibly just the two of us. And uh, what we do now is we've really pivoted hard to both the consulting side, providing that sort of engagement like I just explained um, and doing so virtually, which was the big, the hard thing because of course our consulting traditionally had going and visiting and sitting on site with a client for a couple of days and then going back on site to present our results and all that. All of that is now virtual for the most part. We're getting back to some levels of in-person again, but really it's still virtual, which I'm not sad about, I have to be honest. Um, and so now we have, really changed and pivoted the way that we deliver consulting, the way we do stakeholder interviews, the way we do the deliverables, the way we present the deliverables to optimize for a virtual world. Uh, and training, to the extent that it exists, is mostly 95% now virtual, uh, really more 90-minute classes or two-hour classes, because quite honestly, nobody wants to sit on an all-day uh, workshop on Zoom. So all of that is to say that where the two legs of the stool speaking and training would be about 40% of our revenue on year on year. It is now about 5% of our revenue year on year. And we've really pivoted hard into consulting uh, and starting to see some now uh, growth in the custom content space, white papers, articles, webinars, uh, really creating bespoke content this year, or excuse me, 2022, I created a custom show for a company uh, that was a thought leadership, you know, YouTube show, uh, which worked semi well. Um, and so really starting to experiment more into that in terms of packaging up ourselves as being able to provide those custom content executions, as well as more fractional types of services. What we're seeing now is the consulting where we used to say, we'll never do implementation, right? We're only here to do strategy and road mapping and all of that. We're now starting to get a little bit into the helping them actually implement a strategy, helping them implement workflows or helping them think through the acquisition of technology or helping them think through the training and socialization of an actual new content marketing strategy or think through the messaging architecture or story around a blog or a resource center and staying on for some level of time and having a number of our clients do that. So it's primarily now consulting and then fractional services to provide extra arms and legs for uh, for our clients, and I have to say it's going very well. You know, and it's and it's very happy making from the two hundred and fifty thousand miles that I used to put on my frequent flyer card every year for consulting. That number has gone down to about thirty thousand miles a year, and that is that's you know that's a good thing coming out of COVID. So yeah, that's our that's our model. That's fascinating. So I have a couple of questions for you. The it see it sounds like I'm I'm you talked about you go and do a speaking gig somewhere and sometimes leads come from that but you're not speaking as much so where are all the leads coming from and and do you have a formal process for finding new engagements because 
a lot of people, I don't know if people know, but some of your engagements are like six plus figure engagements. They're big. Yeah. You're working yeah. with big, large enterprises on figuring out their content marketing processes and brand publishing. So do you have an idea for, for how those come in? I do. I know exactly how they come in. Um, and almost, so we do marketing. Um, you know, we do some level of very small levels of paid uh, on typically on LinkedIn, um, by the way, which is ungodly expensive, just FYI, but, you know, and arguably worth it. I continue to debate myself on whether it's worth it or not. Um, we, so we do some paid media there. We've tried Google search advertising and have had zero success with it. Um, so just for whatever that's worth, um, that may change a little bit now that we're going to resurrect the, the newsletter, uh, this year. The reason I haven't had a newsletter for 18 months is because, uh, quite simply, I didn't feel like it was high quality enough. And so I just killed it because it was like, nobody needs no more spam in their email box. That's just, and so we've actually feel like we have something that's not derivative now and something that's actually unique and nice and good. So we're going to resurrect that for our few thousand subscribers that we have. Um, and, but the leads, they all come from two places. One is the work that I do with CMI, uh, which continues to be a great partner for us. So that's my first piece of advice is find a platform that you can align with as a, as a consultant and use that as a megaphone, you know, it, as, a, as, a, as a chair that you can stand on and be louder than other people in the room. Um, the second is, and I say this with all due humility, it's me. It's, it's, it's me getting out and being a quote unquote thought leader in this space. People see me at a they see me speak. They see me online. Uh, I do lots and lots of free guesting on podcasts. I basically, if you have a podcast and you ask me to be on, I'll probably say yes. Uh, there's there's very little uh, chance that I'm going to say no unless you're just a complete chucklehead. Um, but I do events. I do I do a lot less events for free that I have to fly for these days because I've just found that they're not terribly profitable at the end of the day. Um, but if I'm getting paid for speaking, especially if I get paid to go do a workshop, those become our best lead generators for us. And then finally, uh, weirdly enough, it's social media. Um, and what happens with social media, I find, and, and this is why I think it's such a brilliant idea for you to double down on LinkedIn, is what I find is, is that it, what social media is is a reminder to people. In other words, what I find is that our clients will want to do something, they want to do a project, and they're thinking about how to do it, and whether they'll hire Forrester or their agency or whatever to come in and help them do this. And then they'll see me post something uh, on LinkedIn or elsewhere, and they'll go, oh, right, that guy, they, he has a consulting firm. And they'll click through and look at the website, and then I'll get this outbound email or inbound email saying, hey, listen, I just saw you on, you wrote an article for CMI, or I just saw that you wrote this article for so-and-so, or I just saw you on this webinar for so-and-so. We have this problem. Would love to talk to you more about how we might, how we might do it. So those are our biggest lead generators is, is me, CMI, and the workshops that we would, the, the events that I do. Yeah, it's funny. You, um, you did a little part of a post on the tilt and you talked about, you know, I think the question was what recommendations do you give for content entrepreneurs? And you said, 
you should find publications in your industry and write for them, like uh, like you were, you were yes. talking about. And I think a lot of people forget that, I mean, a lot of your success, I mean, it's ab- absolutely you, but you are on other people's channels all the time. Like, you don't necessarily have right. a robust uh, newsletter, but you're in other people's newsletters all the time. So it's just interesting. That's that was the yeah that was the that was the plan early on for me was what I recognized and it's my advice for any new entrepreneur who's starting out in the consulting space is number one get your center of gravity get your platform set so that you have some place to bring them right and for us it's our website um, and our website is also by the way our blog and you can sign up for the newsletter there. Um, you just don't get one right now. You're going to start getting one, but you don't get one right now because, uh, you know, so we're continue to get four, five, ten subscribers a month uh, to our newsletter through our content that we create. They're just, we just haven't, haven't been sending one uh, of late. Um, but the key was for me was I knew that I, the, the only way I was going to, I needed to go where the audience was, right? Nobody was going to come to my website just because it was there or that I was going to perform some miracle and start performing well in Google search. You know, and I just didn't feel like climbing up that hill, to be quite frank. So I said the easier way for me to do this and to build, and in the early days, it was quite honestly to build credibility in this space. So if, if I go to and I appear for free on a webinar and it's next to Jay Bear, or if I go write an article and my article is next to Ann Hanley's article, or if I go and write an article and my article is next to Joe Polizzi's article, I start getting the benefit of that halo effect of that brand. It's like, oh, that guy must be a thought leader too. And so in the very early days, that was my complete strategy was to surround myself on external platforms with the people that I respected so that I would get a little bit of that superhero juice and, and basically, you know, they would start to see me in the same light and it started to work and I started to get a little credibility and the thinking, I guess, pays a little bit too. You got to have something to say. Um, but once you have that something to say, uh, it's really looking at, okay, now where do you bring them? So that's why I say step one, get your center of gravity set, your blog, your website, whatever, have somewhere to send them. Step two is to go be everywhere you think you need to be where your audience is to start to build a little bit of a buzz around your brand and what you do. I think all, I mean, you, you sort of mentioned this as well, and you know, I can talk to it too, but the importance of this podcast over the past 10 years, we don't, sometimes we discount it. And then we, we go out like, and, and you know, we, you and I have had these conversations where you'll go out and you'll do a speech and then you will get come people coming up to you just raving about the podcast. And we don't have, oh, you know, we yeah. don't have millions of people listening to this, but we've got a lot of super fans and our big supporters are there and they come out and see us at these events. And it's a, it's a big deal for that ultimate reminder. I mean, every week we're talking to them. And that adds, yeah. that's, that's for, added for me, to your business a lot, I would imagine. I, well, yeah. So here's the thing. I've gotten exactly zero leads, and that may not be true, but it's fun for the drama yeah. purposes. I've gotten exactly zero leads from the podcast in the 10 years that we've done it. I will tell you, I've probably kept loyal or created evangelists with hundreds of people that I've worked with. In other words, for me, this podcast is absolutely a loyalty and evangelistic Thing. Clients, once they 
have gone through, you know, once I've gotten a client and I've worked with that client and I tell them about the podcast or they learn about the podcast, they subscribe. And then when I talk to them about follow on work or I talk to them, they're like, oh, yeah, I heard that on the podcast. That's so cool that that connect. It's a great connection point for uh, customer loyalty. That's what I find is, that is so amazing about this thing is, is exactly right. That intimacy. And then you also get people who are, and this goes out to all of you in the audience, are so lovely about sharing the word and coming up and saying how much, you know, it's a connection point and that you, we're considered friends. And absolutely, I consider that to be true. And so it's a lovely thing that I get recommended based on the podcast, right? That somebody goes, oh, yeah, listen to this podcast. You should talk to this guy. You should talk to this Robert Rose guy because he can help you sort out your content strategy. So from a loyalty and evangelistic standpoint, the podcast is so critical for me. Is, I'll end with this question. Is, is there what, What's something that surprised you in the last year that made you change your strategy a little bit? Is there something that you've done or are doing or you're just doing more of the same to keep growing? The business because it sounds like I know you and I have had conversations about this over the years where you've had a, a year here where you say I'm going to build an asset and then you've just decided hey I love consulting I know that it's you know I can't sell this thing at some point but I'm happy with this business model um, I think I asked you two questions there but do you have any commentary on that yeah I think the, the I think the the one thing that has been a pleasant surprise um, probably due to the fact that I'm just happy about the, I thought physical travel would come back a lot faster. Um, And therefore I thought training uh, and workshops would come back faster. But what I've learned is that there's actually a two part to the physical presence thing, which is one, how fast people are going back into the office, which is happening. People are definitely going back into the office. But two, and probably more important, what they're not doing is they're not having vendors into the office, right? So they're not, they're not having people like me back in the office. So anytime we do work, they might be in the office, but they're actually, uh, they're, they're either not allowed or they're not, there's just culturally, culturally not accepted yet to have people back in the office. So the physical presence has been much delayed. So we've seen training come back a little bit um, over the last six months in terms of a business model. But it's still very much a virtual, virtual thing, and that surprised me a little bit. It's a, yeah, it's it's so interesting. The, I mean, that's one of the plays that we're making, uh, and it's moving slower than I thought it was, but still more important is that people need that in person networking. We're not quite at that point where right. yeah, I thought we'd be there already, but it seems like maybe this is the year. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah. I think, I mean, we're, I mean, we're saying to clients, we're saying to clients when we talk to them, we're saying, Hey, listen, I'm going to send you a proposal and it's going to include, you know, three virtual workshop sessions, blah, blah, blah. Just know that we're doing in person if you want to do that. And what they're saying is, is, Hey, listen, we're not, you know, it, X, Y, or Z, they're saying that this is not happening in person. So yeah, in virtual is cool. So we're defaulting to virtual, but then letting them know that the in-person option is there if they want us to come visit them um, and travel. And I'm not, I, I, again, I'm not sad about not traveling because it can, it, it's less personal. That's, that's the one con I will say is working, part of my joy in working with clients is the fact that I get to learn about them and befriend them and get to know them better as people. And that's harder on Zoom. It just, it just is. However, 
the pro, the other side of that coin is that virtual is way more efficient. It's just, it's the consulting, our consulting engagements are way more efficient now. Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm seeing, I mean, obviously I'm not doing any consulting, but I'm seeing a tick up in in in-person speaking requests. That's, you know, I I am too. So that's, that's interesting. That's starting to come back around. And my recommendation for everyone, not, I mean, if you're a speaker or not market or whatever, um, I feel like I keep my profile, my social media profiles and my website content up. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe how dated. (laughs) So please go through all your stuff and make sure it's completely updated and you have the links going to the right, right resources. Like I, it's funny. I had my about some, somebody introduced me. I don't think this was Belgium. I think it was somewhere else. And they read something off and I said, that's old. Like where are they getting that from? And I realized they pulled it right off my site. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is embarrassing. So I <laughs> went through, I'm like, yeah, I got to update all these things and you got to make sure you set your reminders to do that. Th- those little things will lead to big opportunities if you fix them. So hopefully don't do what I did. Go out and fix all that yeah. stuff. So, well, this is, so that was yeah, fun. That was, I, I hope I, people, I, that was fun. Uh, I hope people enjoyed that. I guess, uh, you know, if, if people want to hear yeah. more about that, have in, you know, questions about that, please, you know, hashtag us up on this old marketing and let us know if you want us to cover some more stuff. Definitely. Like this. We're happy to hashtag us open up. books. Yeah. Hashtag us up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ask questions. Come to the site, thisoldmarketing.site. You can ask us questions. You can leave us a voicemail, which is I think just think it's the coolest thing ever. Um, I want to use that more this year where we get voicemails from yeah, our put, audience yeah, asking I guess, questions and Well, stuff. maybe we should do that. Maybe we should just say, hey, like if we could do a whole show and just we could do like office hours like Prof G does and just I know. do yeah, yeah, so it's fun. I love that. I love that. So we yeah, actually, yeah, so if you go to thisoldmarketing.site, we have a couple different places where you can leave voicemails. You cannot miss them. You can hit a big, <laughs> right. it's right at the top bar, or there's a yeah. big old microphone in the in the right-hand corner. So go ahead and click on that, do your voicemail, and, and maybe that's our next special episode, which is odd that our special episodes do better than our news episodes. <laughs> what do they yeah. do? So what are you going to do? Yeah. Stats or stats? There you go. And and as we speak, you're in you're in you're traveling and you're having some wonderful times and all of that. But we'll be back next week. regular yes. regular episode next week. You got it absolutely. Before yep. I go off on Fan. vacation again, but but def- there definitely for before one week, you, I'll be in town. Before the man of leisure does his catwalk, oh, that funny so little funny. catwalk. He's too sexy. He's too sexy for you all, ladies and gentlemen. That's Joe Polizzi and I'm Robert Rose. And remember, we'll see you next week with a regular show. Until then, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. Mm-hmm.